Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey everyone, it's Courtney. On this week's episode, we're excited to be talking to best-selling author and pastor David Platt. David recently released a new book called Something Needs to Change, and today we have the opportunity to talk to him about it and hear a little bit about his first journey to the Himalayas, where he faced deep theological questions and came face-to-face with extreme poverty. Just like David, when we're confronted with seemingly unfair things, we can easily ask questions like, where is God in the midst of suffering? And when we don't see it firsthand, it's easy to forget that human trafficking and starvation are a constant part of some people's lives. So this episode challenges all of us to ask the question, in the middle of urgent need, are we doing something that counts? So I hope that you're encouraged by this episode with Isaac and David Platt. Hey, this is Isaac from In Doubt, and with us today is pastor and author David Platt. Thanks so much for being with us here today, David. It's great to be here. Uh, David, could you share just a bit about who you are, maybe more personally, maybe how you came to know Jesus? Mm, Yeah, sure. Uh, By God's grace, I was born into a home where I've heard the gospel yeah, pretty much since I was born, which uh, obviously had nothing to do with where I was born. So that's just a picture of God's mercy in my life. And so I uh, came to faith in Jesus uh, as early as I can remember. Like around six years old, I was trusting in Jesus and uh, obviously uh, at a six-year-old level. But um, ever since then, by God's grace, have had a relationship with him through his grace in Christ. And so, uh, yeah, now I am uh, married with, uh, I was about to say four kids, but we are adding our fifth uh, by adoption right now. So we just got matched uh, with a a three-year-old boy in China that we uh, hope to go pick up in the next uh, couple of months. And so, uh, yeah, that's part of our story uh, after uh, years of, infertility god led us down a path of adoption that uh led to our first son uh who we adopted from kazakhstan and then god provided a second son uh the more natural way uh, in a way that shocked us and then uh we adopted our third child our daughter and then had a another son the more natural way and then this will be number five through adoption. So yeah, that's, that's kind of our story. We uh, live in Metro Washington, DC, where I'm a pastor of McLean Bible Church here. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's so exciting. And yeah, you, you mentioned that you're pastor of McLean Bible Church. Um, so what's it like being uh, a pastor of a church, which is kind of like in the center, you could say of, of, you know, America? <laughs> it's, it's pretty unique, uh, and awesome. Uh, uh, like the church has right now over last time we kind of did a little survey, it was like 106 different nations represented in the church. And so it's just very uh, multi-ethnic and oh, just so much beauty that goes with that. And so it's it's pretty awesome. The opportunities to make disciples of the nations who are right here 
uh, in this global city and, uh, and, and people who are doing all kinds of things that affect uh, work around the country and around the world, but then also people going from here to the nations through all kinds of different routes. So just different people's jobs who will bring them through Washington or have them in Washington for uh, a little while and then they'll go out. And so just the opportunity to reach the nations from here is pretty awesome. So uh, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity to shepherd uh, yeah, God's people in, in, this, in this city. That's so good. Thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. All right. Well, the first line of your newest book called Something Needs to Change is this, quote, alone in a guest house at the base of the Himalayas, I found myself on my knees, face to the floor, sobbing, end quote. So perhaps as a way, David, to let us know what your newest book is about, could you just let us know why you were in the Himalayas in the first place and then why you were sobbing? Mm. Yeah, so why I was in the Himalayas actually goes back to a little bit of our adoption story. So uh, years ago, uh, we had started an adoption process from a country uh, that uh, in, has the Himalayas in it, and uh, uh, God had just put that country on our hearts, and we went through this whole process. Our next step was to be matched with a child, and then the country shut down right before then, and we were just heartbroken like we had worked and prayed for a couple of years for and for this child uh and we had heard a lot about uh uh children in this particular country and problems with trafficking and uh so we knew even though the door was closed for adoption from there that god had put this this particular part of the world on our hearts for a reason and so not long after that a guy who i'd met before but he kind of came back around and uh he works in that country and i said hey can we get can we talk some more and so we ended up sitting down i learned about work that he was doing uh to address all kinds of uh, physical needs in that country and doing it with the gospel through the church and it was just uh i said and he said would you be interested in coming uh over and i said well yes i would absolutely be interested and so that led to what's now been multiple trips and 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 just involved in a lot of the work in this part of the world and i so why why was that so that's why i was there why was i sobbing at the end of my first trip there uh i i I feel like i've traveled to a good number of places but more than anywhere else in the world that i've been these villages just think very remote areas high in the himalayas villages uh they represent more than any other place i've been just a collision of urgent spiritual and physical need so urgent physical need uh about well they they did research they found that half of the children in these villages are dying before their eighth birthday and uh so and they're dying of like preventable diseases and I, i think about my kids like one of my biggest fears is something happening to one of them. I can't imagine that being an expectation for half of them. And uh, so just to see extreme poverty and, and to see the way the traffickers prey on poverty in those villages and, uh, yeah, just taking girls out from those villages with the promise of a better life. But it, they're not taken to a better life. They're taken to a horrible uh, seen whether down in the city or in the other countries where they never come back home. So, so to see that on top of urgent spiritual need, like they've 
Uh, most of the people I've met in those mountains have never heard the gospel, never even heard the name of Jesus. Like you go up on the mountainside and you're talking to people and say, what do you know about Jesus? And they say, who's that? Like they've never even heard his name. And so it just leads to all kinds of wrestling. And so after a week of walking to those villages and I get back down to the city and, and where I, we were, we were there amidst parts of the city where some of these girls from the villages have been taken and put to work in the city. And it just, uh, yeah, it was, I just found myself in my face, uh, in this guest house where we were staying and just uncontrollably weeping. And, uh, and one of the things I say, and in, in, uh, not long after that, in the beginning of the book is just, why, why is it so uncommon for me to weep like this? Like, why, uh, do I not feel just, the hurt and, and compassion that I think is characteristic of Jesus more often. And, and not that that's the goal, uh, just to feel a certain way, but then a life that flows from that. So anyway, that's, that's what uh, compelled me then to say, okay, I like whenever I come down from those mountains, I, I just think, man, I wish I could take everybody I could in those mountains. Obviously that's just not physically possible. And so writing this, something needs to change book was just my effort to try to bring those mountains to us and bring us face to face with these things, wrestle through things that I think we need to wrestle with and then think through what that means for our lives. Yeah, that's so good. Thanks for sharing that, David. And you know, it's interesting is, as I hear you say that, you know, lots of the listeners have been doubt and, uh, and yourself as well. Like we come from a place where there's a lot of wealth and the idea of kind of a physical needs to the extent that you saw and also spiritual needs like the fact of them not even having heard the name of Jesus it's we we hear of reports like that like you're telling me right now and I'm like yeah okay I know that but in the same way that you know to know something in the bible has a even more intimate sense to it um you you've seen it firsthand and mm-hmm. that hits you rather than a lot for a lot of us we read books about it we might see statistics and all that kind of stuff. And there's just something that changes when you really do see it and you know what you can put faces uh, to what you read about. So that's yeah. that's huge. You know, having witnessed those needs then so closely, David, you mentioned in your book that you had some like serious theological questions that kind of popped into your mind, which I mean, I think all of us listening would be like, yeah, of course you would, because again, mm-hmm. these are real mm-hmm. people. So I'm wondering, David, could you uh, walk us through um, what those were and then, or maybe just a few of them or whatever, and then how yeah. you, how you're able to kind of process those? Yeah, I, I, and you know, both things you're saying, both that question and then what you're saying before go together because I just think about uh, like on the way over to my first trip over there, I, uh, I like wrote a sermon where I was working on a sermon on the plane that dealt with poverty and even trapping some stuff. And I, looking back, just wrote it from like this frighteningly cold hearted perspective. And, uh, it's just really easy for us to know things, be even be able to say things. And then, uh, it's a whole other thing to come face to face with, uh, just realities that are represented by those things we know. And that's, that's why I just, yeah, just try to open up my journals in this book and be honest with the wrestling I have with things I preach and things I write and things I believe. It's not that I believe them 
any less. But uh, so, yeah, um, so many different questions, like maybe one that would summarize a lot of the questions that I kind of wrestle with at different points in this book is just why would, why God are some people born into earthly suffering like this only to move on to eternal suffering without many of them without ever even hearing the good news of Jesus. Like I, so there's just, I mean, that, that leads to all kinds of wrestling, both just of earthly suffering. God's where's your goodness in the midst of poverty and oppression like this to, uh, uh, yeah, God, your justice and mercy when it comes to people who are, uh, who die without ever even hearing the gospel. And so, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and my aim in the book is not to like put those questions out there and then like tie a, a, a neat bow around them because there's wrestling. I think that is to be had there, but I think there's a way to wrestle with questions like that with, trust in god with and that's where it all comes back to like trust in god trust in his word and uh and not uh, a prideful i know better than god uh that if i were god i would be doing something different like it was interesting like i i was talking with somebody the other day who said like how can you believe in god when you see like suffering like that and that's what i said like how can i not believe in god meaning uh like if an atheistic worldview just says, yeah, some people get lucky, some people don't, like in the end, there's no justice, like we're products of our DNA, like no, no, there in the end, there will be justice. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's not, things are not meaningless here. Like this is not the end. This is not the end of the story. And so, and then as a result, like of that, that I want to live to, to, make mercy and justice known like that changes the way i live and so the good thing is i think when we're honest enough to wrestle with our questions in the face of realities in the world it actually leads to uh, a deeper level of faith and uh, and i hope a, a more real life that flows from that faith yeah that's so good david and just just for people to to know as well like you didn't ask these questions in your book and then just kind of, you know, finish the book with, I don't know. You know, I, I think you, you do struggle with them to a point of coming to some conclusions that maybe don't satisfy all your emotions, but are true. And, yeah. and that's okay. And that's good. Um, that's a really good thing. Uh, David, to help those of us listening, could you just walk us through maybe one or two stories from your trip? Maybe think of a specific journal entry that could just kind of give us a picture, open for us just a picture um, of what you have seen. And I don't know if you want to do a more difficult one, that's fine. Or maybe a, a really cool story of how the gospel is working um, out mm. there. I'm just wondering if you could just let us know. Yeah, sure. Okay. So uh, how to summarize? What, what would be the best summary? So maybe uh, here, I just think, think on the trafficking level. So there was in one of the stories I tell in the book is, uh, where I mean, there's there there are villages where most in 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 these mountains where most of the girls in a certain age range are gone. Like you don't even see girls in that age range because they've been trafficked. And the way that plays out is basically you'll have a trafficker come through and uh, uh, basically yeah see a family struggling in poverty say to the parents, hey, 
we see your 12 year old girl and uh, we would be glad to take her down in the city, help her get an education, help her get a good job. She can send up money to help your family. She'll be better. She'll be healthy. Um, and so make all these promises and then, then put like basically a down payment, like here's a commitment, uh, to us and she'll be able to come back up and visit. So here's like the equivalent of a hundred dollars. And so a family will say, well, this, she's better off somewhere else than here. And so they send off their daughter who is then taken down into a brothel and, uh, drugged and abused. And, uh, and, uh, so, and, and just, I mean, even young girls, like there was one, uh, so there's an art therapy. Even this last trip I was on just a few months ago, a uh, session for girls who had been trafficked and uh, have been rescued out of that. And there's there's an eight-year-old girl in that art therapy session. Like, I just, so so that's the heaviness. But then, okay, so pick up there, like with, uh, yeah, people who have, both from outside of that country and be, and people who live inside that country who are working hard to help prevent trafficking and uh, and then to rescue girls and then to help girls in that restoration process to sort of see this art therapy class like you should just see like the beautiful well just their the picture their their faces they're enjoying each other they're laughing at each other it's like this is this is what happens when God's people decide to be a reflection of his character in a world of urgent need. And they do it. They do it, yes, meeting physical needs and with the greatest news in the world that the God of the universe loves them and the God of the universe can take their brokenness and bring healing and can take their hurt and turn it into hope. Like this is this is real. Like this gospel is powerful. And it has power to redeem and restore and change lives. Um, but it's not just, at the same time, it's not just, so just speak that gospel. Yes, without a question, speak that gospel. But then, like, show the fruit of it and working to help girls out of that. And so, so to see pictures of that, so, uh, and it's, it's where the gospel light shines so brightly in the middle of, of darkness like that. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of the takeaway, right? Like, so how can our lives be a part of making that gospel light shine? Mm -hmm. That's so good, David. And, you know, to ask kind of personally, you know, you have these truths in your heart and your mind, uh, because you've studied God's word, you've preached them, like just doctrine of, of the fact that, you know, Jesus is the only hope of salvation, different things like that. How has seeing the, the depths of sin and brokenness firsthand, but also just the joys of seeing people uh, redeemed. How, what did that do to your theology? How did that affect <laughs> your, your theology when you saw it? I really believe it uh, just goes to a whole other depth because uh, I, when you, just to kind of pick up where we were, like thinking about those girls, like Jesus is all the more beautiful and glorious when you see his power to redeem in the middle of darkness and uh, when you when i think about gathering with this one this one church uh, that i talk about in the book like after hiking for about four or five days and just meeting in this little church we got to this we hiked this really tall mountain and uh um 
uh, got there and heard that there was a church meeting there that night. And I thought, man, this has got to be some of the fittest church members ever to gather here. And so it was, I mean, to go out at night, like it's totally dark, cold, and to look down the mountain and see these little tiny little lights coming up the mountain, uh, a small gathering for this church, and to look around the room. And uh, so they don't have most of the things we think of when we think of church. I mean, no programs, no nice building. I mean, it's just a, they're just crammed in this little room. They have the word of God and the spirit of God and each other. And it's like, yes, this is what it's about. Like this is, and then to see the way they're loving each other, caring for each other and they're facing persecution, but they're encouraging each other and then to hold fast and they're praying for those who are persecuting them. They're caring for each other's needs. It's like, this is it. So then it's like, I just think it's getting all the more to the root, to the core, when it comes to what the Bible teaches about the church, when it comes to yeah, like what really matters in eternity. So that's where just theology just becomes all the more real on a whole other level than I think. And it's not that we can't get there. I mean, truth is, is truth, regardless of where it is. But uh, it's just understanding and seeing the the ramifications of that truth in a same way that it's like, I'm looking at these people, they've, they, they, you know, Christians have been martyred in, in their villages. Like Jesus is, is worth more than life to them. And I just walk away saying, yes, he is worth more than life. I pray that if I were in that exact same situation they're in, that I'd be saying the same thing, but I, I want that kind of faith. Uh, so anyway. Yeah, that's so good, David. And, and kind of as a, um, a part two of that question, uh, many of us that are, uh, many people are that are listening right now, including myself, maybe we haven't witnessed things like you have. So how can we gain those strong spiritual convictions like you have? So, you know, for, for one example, the fact that Jesus is the only hope for the world, how can mm-hmm. that truth, say, uh, become a strong conviction for us having not gone on a journey and having not mm-hmm. seen uh, what you have seen? Um, I would say, uh, one, maybe to, uh, to open up to, to, to going places outside of our comfort zone, but that doesn't even have to just be in the Himalayas. Like maybe yes, there, uh, but I mean, right around us, like to look, where is, where's the most urgent physical need, spiritual need represented right around me and to go into that with the gospel, uh, it it will it will yeah it'll do all kinds of things in your faith. So we don't we don't have to uh, get on a plane and helicopter up into the mountains uh, in order to see the fruit of the gospel. I just I just think about one story. I mean, this week in the uh, church where I'm serving, like uh, where I have the privilege of pastoring, like this this couple. I won't go into all the details, but just addiction and uh, all kinds of just struggles in the world and, and been through really hard, abusive, even relationships. And then, then they come to faith and then they came to faith in Christ. They met each other. The one, uh, just got baptized. The other already had it like, and, and now to see their lives, like they're serving in our special needs ministry and just, that are thriving in Christ, it's like, yes, yes, the gospel has power. It's not just like, go and sit and listen to a sermon about the gospel and sing songs about the gospel. So yes, do that, like under the teaching of the word. Yes, 
celebrate and worship, but like see it in action in people's lives, like make disciples, like share the gospel and, and go into, I mean, the, the, that's one of the things that I address at different points of the book. Like the gospel compels us to move toward need, toward need. And the more we're moving toward need, like where even darkness to use, I mean, spiritual darkness, uh, that, that we will see the need for light and we'll see the beauty of light in it. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, and this is almost like, a, again, kind of just keep uh, piggybacking on these questions because they're helpful. We're building up. Um, David, what do, you, what do you do personally to help your heart and your mind um, stay focused then on the truth of the gospel, on this real, you know, global, physical, spiritual needs while living uh, I mean, you talk about living in Washington, D.C., uh, mm-hmm. living in a place with so many distractions, so many worldly comforts, so much wealth and things like that. What are some things um, that you do? And maybe maybe these are things that you could encourage us to do as well. Yeah, so I would say, uh, one, and just kind of thinking through some, I think, kind of basic things, but uh, in, uh, I mean, starting with my time in the Lord to make sure in the morning, that time is is focused at some point on beyond my world right around me. Uh, so, to pray like every day for unreached people groups, like to to pray for people who've never heard the gospel and for the gospel to go to them. Uh, so to, to like I think about praying for Chechens in Russia today. Uh, about a million and a half of them, there's hardly any gospel presence among them. So, so to build that in, uh, and then praying for like, yeah, things happening in the world to be praying right now for what's happening in Bolivia and Venezuela and Haiti and, uh, Hong Kong and among Muslim minorities in China. And, uh, so uh, to have a global focus to our praying and then obviously letting that play out, who are the people in your city right now? who don't have anybody interceding for them and uh, to build that in. So, so that's just one practical thing. Then two. So, and, and I mean, you know, God will use our, our praying to direct our hearts in all kinds of ways. And then, uh, and then what did you just say? Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So I, I think one of the biggest places this, this battle is fought is with our, our money, our use of resources, no matter how much we have, like to say, okay, how can I, where your treasure is, your heart will be awesome. So I want my heart to be focused on the things God's heart is focused on, then I've got to put my money there. And so uh, to be very, very intentional. And so my wife and I, we want to be intentional with, uh, yeah, just, okay, how do we use the resources entrusted to us in in different ways uh, for his glory locally, globally? And then I would say, yeah, to be involved, this sounds so basic. I feel like I'm not like giving a revolutionary answer to this question, but it is like, I've just been like, okay, we'll pray in this way, give in this way. And then like the more we're involved in making disciples, like really doing disciple making, not just meeting with other believers every once in a while, like to have accountability or this or that, like, in a, like sharing the gospel, helping people to follow Jesus, wrestling through the challenges and struggles in life, living to see people grow in Christ, doing that through a local church, uh, being involved in outreach beyond that local church. Like if we're doing that, then we're, I think, I think all these just normal means of obedience, God has designed for us to grow in Christ's likeness, which is growing in his heart. 
for the world around us. Yeah, that's so good, David. And, and I, I think it's so important, like the first few um, kind of applications that you you mentioned, uh, th- these are these aren't not big things. You're not saying, well, just you know, hop on a city bus and just kind of let the spirit, you know, take you somewhere or, or whatever. These are this is prayer, um, and then specifically intercessory prayer. You know, and that's really important. I mean, because you are not just a pastor of a local church, but you also, like you said, you have a wife, you have a family. Many people that are listening either have a wife or a husband and a family, or they are, you know, still in their parents' home or whatever. And they might just feel so confined to where God has placed them right now. And the idea of, you know, just doing something extravagant, um, like physically in that sense, might just seem completely absurd. But what you're saying is that it really does begin in at home, in in prayer, in, in accessory prayer, and then you start to begin to see, okay, then disciple making, things like this. But this is all stuff that can happen here, like where yes. God has already placed you. That's right. That's right. Well, that's the beauty. And like, not only can it happen, like it's designed to, like God has actually put, you know, obviously I don't know where everybody listening to this lives, but like God puts you in that place uh, at this time. He's He's sovereign. He has like the whole thing rigged. And so, uh, so he has, he has put you in that place. He's, he's given you the wife or the husband or the kids or in, in singleness, like where you are. And so how can you steward what he's given you? And then at the same time, yes, be open to the fact that he may lead you in different ways than you are now in the days to come. Uh, so to be open to that, uh, at the same time, thrive in the, the place where he has sovereignly put you right now. Yeah, that's so good. And just an encouragement to those listening, and I'm sure you'd well, hopefully agree, uh, David, is that, you know, we, we look at things maybe that you have done in the Himalayas and we say, wow, that's so dangerous and, and exciting and, you know, adventurous. But I mean, if anyone listening has tried to spend even half an hour in intercessory prayer, it is mm. really hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really hard. So we are, you are taking the, the adventurous, hard, bloody, tearful journey at home with some of these, uh, the battles that we fight. So, and I, yeah, I think you'd, you'd mm-hmm. agree with that too. That's a great word. Yes, absolutely. Like this is, I've just been reading in, uh, first Timothy, like in second Timothy, like, yes, faith is a fight, like right where we are. And, uh, instead of, yeah, fight the good fight of faith. It's a battle right where we are. And, uh, yeah. The adversary would love for you to think, yeah, if I was this or, or this person or that person, if I was doing this or that, then I could really make a difference. Like, oh, just just thrive right where God has put you at this moment. Uh, so it's not it's not that we all have to go out and change the world. Like, make a disciple. This is actually how Jesus said to change the world. That's so good. Uh, David, as a last question here before we wrap up, what what is your hope in young adult Canadians reading uh, your new book, Something Needs to Change? Uh, I, okay, if I were to summarize my hope for people who read that book, I think that they would walk away with, because uh, this is my hope for my own life, kind of in writing that book, is that that we would have a compassionate urgency that characterizes our life, like a compassionate like we like we feel for people around us like we love people we care for people and in a world of urgent need that we would care for people right around us and 
far from us. Like that we've marked by compassion that doesn't just lead to emotion, but leads to action. Sort of urgency. It says we've only got a little bit of time on this earth. Like each of us, I've I've only got a few years left. Like how can I? And, and I don't even know if I have that much. I could have hours left or minutes left. But okay, so how can I? I know this. I know my life is a mist. It's here one second and gone the next. So how do I steward the grace God's given me today maximally for his glory? And so, yeah, a bit of compassion and urgency would, would characterize our lives. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, David, I just want to say thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Pure joy, Isaac. Thanks for having me. What a great opportunity it is to have David Platt on In Doubt. I hope that this has made you think and that the question, in the midst of urgent need, are we doing something that counts, is something that you give thought to. And if you want to go deeper, I'd highly recommend picking up a copy of David's book, Something Needs to Change, or going to his website, Radical.net, and of course, we'll have all that information on the episode page online too. And if you have a question, feedback, or a suggestion about anything that we've said, or if you'd like to dig deeper into something that you've heard, you can email me at info at And if you'd like to follow along with InDoubt for daily content on social media, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So thanks for joining us for this episode, and I hope that you check back next week for a new episode with Daniel and guest Kayla Stecklin, suicide awareness and mental health advocate who talks about her journey of grief and loss. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 